We're in the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 13. Get this lapel mic going. There's a small human being waving at me back there, so if you see me waving. You have children in order to get grandchildren, I've been told. (laughs) Okay, we're in Acts chapter 13. Verse 13 is a large section of Scripture. And I I, I promise I'm not going to unpack everything that's there. We'd be here for weeks, I think. But I, I have a particular purpose in mind. We'll... We're going to be kind of flying over some things, a big big picture view here. 13 through 41. Hear the perfect and holy word of our perfect and holy God. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Pamphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and they sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, saying, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he led them out from it. For a period of forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. When he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought forth to Israel a Savior, Jesus, After John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. When they carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled his promise to our children, and that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As for the fact he raised him from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he spoke of in this way, I will give you the holy and the sure blessings of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For David, after he had served his purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep. 
He was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the day of rest, rest for our souls, rest for our bodies. We pray that we would be in the spirit, that I would be in the spirit. We'd be led by your spirit, inspired word. And we would offer you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, worship the best that we're able to do according to the word. And even in that, Lord, we'll fail. But Father, receive the worship through our perfect mediator, your perfect Son, Christ Jesus. Exalt yourselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in our minds, in our hearts, on our tongues, in our lives, that we would leave this place more deeply in love with you, and we would love people. For Christ's sake, amen. Thematically, we're looking at a continuation of what we looked at last week. And what we looked at last week was the evangelistic missionary endeavors of a number of Christ's servants. And so we're seeing a a continuation of that. In fact, the entire book of Acts, you can entitle the entire book of the Acts of, of, of the risen Lord Jesus Christ or the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Acts of the Holy Spirit who is compelling the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to take the message of Christ to the whole world. That's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is essentially the carrying out of the command of Jesus from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, take my gospel message, Christ crucified, Christ risen, and take it from Judea to Jerusalem to to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And so we're using a number of terms, evangelistic, missions, preaching in there, Evangelism, you remember, when someone evangelizes, specifically they're giving you the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're telling you that God, the second person of the Godhead, has come in the flesh, Christ, and he has died on a cross for our sins. And if you believe in him, you have everlasting life. That's the good news. That's the evangel. That's what it means to evangelize. Specifically that we can go from death to light, life, from darkness to light, it's what we're looking at, evangelism. And then we said missions is when that evangelism occurs, when one group of believing people um, go from their own place, let's say Jerusalem, or let's say Paul in Tarsus, uh, and he goes over to, to Antioch, Syria, and he tells a, another group of unbelieving people in that different place, he tells them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's missions. So believing people going from their own place to a group of other unbelieving people, people who don't believe in Jesus, and they tell them about Jesus Christ for the purpose of having them know Jesus Christ savingly. If I were to ask you to step back from this passage, what's Paul's main point in his sermon here uh, to these people in this, uh, this synagogue? What's the main thrust of the sermon? It's about Christ. He's talking about the person of Christ, the work of Christ, He talks about Christ's life, 
Christ's death, Christ's burial, and specifically Christ's resurrection. And then he attaches that to what? What Christ has come for. He says it a number of times, for salvation. So the evangelist, who, the traveling evangelist, who's the missionary, who goes to people that, and this is important, to people that don't know Jesus, these gospelers, these heralds, these preachers, these evangelists, these missionaries, are going to those unbelieving people in, in hopes and desires and prayers that those people would go from being unbelievers, rejectors of Jesus, to being believers in the Jesus. That's what they want. And so when you look at this passage, and you're looking at these missionaries going out to these various places, from, from Turkey to Syria, down to Cyprus, back up to Asia Minor, that's the Apostle Paul. He's traveling. Why is he going? Is he going because it's a great way to earn a living, or he, he just wants to go and criticize other people's religious views? And I know sometimes people think, well, what's the purpose in your evangelizing? It's just to show how smart you are, and your religion's right, and my religion's wrong. Check, you won, won a debate, you won an argument. Some people do that. Some people share their Christian point of view with non-Christians for the purpose of walking away saying, I am right, you are wrong. Look how good I am. That's ridiculous. That, that, that. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. Love to God, love to people. So the evangelist missionary, the one that's being compelled by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, wants them to become unbelievers. They want them to become believers in Jesus. They don't, they're not there to win an argument. And as our brother talked about in Sunday school, when one group of Christians goes to another place, let's say they're a, a different place, People in the Western world go to see people in the Eastern world, and perhaps these people don't know Jesus. We're not going to change their, their Eastern culture into Western culture. We're not doing any of that. We're not going to change them from being socialists to capitalists, no matter what you think of socialism or capitalism. That's not the purpose of the missionary. So we're not there to change those external things. The desire of the missionary is that they would know Jesus savingly, that they would be saved, passing from light, death to life. That's the purpose. That's what's going on. And obviously, for these things to happen, you need workers. The Lord Jesus Christ says, the field is white for the harvest. Therefore, we should pray what? We should pray that the Lord of the harvest raise up workers. In order for, what does Paul say in the book of Romans, chapter 10? How will they hear unless a preacher is sent? And so what we're looking at here in our passage is God the Holy Spirit, the beginning of Acts chapter 13, there, there's a prayer meeting going on, the brothers and the sisters are praying, and God the Holy Spirit says, set these men apart for me as my preacher, evangelist, missionaries, because I'm sending them out. And so we're looking at evangelism, sharing the gospel, missionary is sharing the gospel in, in different places than is our natural place, to folks that don't know Jesus, longing and praying that they become believers. And then we, we see these workers. And so we're seeing a continuation of that. And as we look at our passage, we see a number of things. Uh, we, we see that God sends them out. And the, the Bible speaks about they. So here we're looking at um, missionary, evangelist, preacher, workers in the plural and this is not a, a sermon on Presbyterianism. Presbyterianism specifically deals with government. But a couple of the tenets of Presbyterianism we do see here. 
Two tenets are connectionalism and the plurality of elders. Titus chapter 1, that God the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to tell Timothy, set up in every city elders. That means you have to have at least two, so the plurality of elders. And there's a principle that we see here. The other um, principle is connectionalism, that there's a connection from the church, from the church in Antioch to the church in Cyprus to the church back up in Galatia. There's a connectionalism. So it's not just me and my little church. It's, there's a connectionalism to the churches. And we see all of that. But the other thing I want us to see is, it's not just the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we think, well, if I could be the Apostle Paul. If we, if we really know the Bible, and you look at the Apostle Paul, do you want to be the Apostle Paul? Really? I mean, really? How, how was the Apostle Paul's ministry? First of all, he didn't have a wife. He tells us he didn't have a wife. He doesn't talk about any kids. And if you have a wife, usually you love your wife and you love your kids and you love your grandkids. Imagine, and, and God can use singleness. And God gifted the Apostle Paul with singleness. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I have a gift of being single. But here's this single guy traveling around. And what's he doing? He is giving himself out for the ministry of the gospel. And he says, I've been beaten with sticks. I've been spent a night and a day in the drink. And they've been beating me five times, 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one. So here's a guy in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, that expends himself. And he writes either 13 or 14 of the epistles of the New Testament. So he's a rock star. But is, is the Christian mission dependent upon the Apostle Paul? No, he doesn't go alone. The Bible says earlier that he, John Mark, now John Mark goes back to Jerusalem, but he has Barnabas, he has John Mark, and, and then it looks like there's a group of other people traveling around with him. And here's my principle. God, in this work, this enterprise of taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, does not put all of that work on one gospel servant. Why? Remember Jethro said to Moses, he said, the work is too much for you. And then what did he say? You, you need helpers. You need workers. And so you remember even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he sends his workers out, does he just send them out one? No. In a couple of the missions, he sends them out two by two. There's something going on here when God sends them out. There's a group of Christians that are all proclaiming we, we were unbelievers. We didn't know Jesus. Now we know Jesus. And when they go out and they're doing this common work, they're evangelizing Again, not for the purpose of making America. I love America. I lost a guy one time because he said that I was un-American and all this. I love America. I'm 58 years old. If they told me to put a green suit on and fight for the country, I would if it was a just war. But we're not going to make Americans. We're going for the purpose of God making Christians and using us. And now when he sends a group of people out, the people that go, the people that hear this message, They want to see, do we believe the message? So we tell them, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to transform your life. He'll save you. And what are they doing? They hear it. Now what are they doing? They're looking at your life. So you're going to go from darkness to light, right? You're going to go from death to life. And the preeminent mark of a Christian is what? That we love other Christians. And what are the non-Christians doing as we're preaching the life-giving gospel? What are they doing? Do you love other Christians? Do you hate your sin? Do you love Christ? Are you poor in your sin? And they're watching. And what they're seeing when this them, this group comes out, 
is a group of transformed people. Our life is not the gospel, but it's a platform for the gospel. The Bible says live a life worthy of the gospel. So here are these gospelers go out, and they're all different. Remember Simon the Cyrene and the other guy, Lucius from, from Africa, were all different. And so the unbelievers are looking going, these people don't even look like they belong in the same room. What's the thing that knits us together? It's not a thing. It's a person. And so God has the evangelism. He has the missions. He sends out the workers. And God is using the transformed lives of these gospelers to woo the unbeliever to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our brother talked about it at Sunday school. We have something that the world needs desperately and the world does not have. It's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hope. It's hope. Without Christ, life is hopeless. We talk about nihilism and all of those kind of things. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, what is there? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so the, the gospelers come with their transformed lives, with their palatable love for one another. And it's attractive. It makes the gospel attractive. And God uses it to woo people. That's kind of the setup. So now, a couple of points that we're looking at is the, the main point we're seeing. Look at verse 13. This is the continuation of the preaching of the gospel. Paul and his companions put out, they were in Antioch, Syria. No, they went from Antioch, Syria. Paul came over from Tarsus, Turkey. He goes over to Antioch, Syria. Then they go, what, south, southwest down to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. And what they're going to do here is they leave Cy, uh, Cyprus, the, what is it, Perga, and they, they go, what, southwest, up northwest, to back to Asia Minor. So here they're traveling around, and we're seeing the group of evangelist missionaries, they're continuing their work. Now, I want to just say a little, thing, a little bit about the continuation of the work. It, it's implied in the text. That they keep going. And why I think this is significant is this reason. Remember, just immediately before this, Paul and the guys are going around the island of Cyprus. And what or who are they preaching uh, on the island of Cyprus? The same thing. The message doesn't change. So they're, uh, on Cyprus, they, they preach Christ. They preach salvation in Jesus. Having our sin, he says a number of times, and you'll be freed and forgiven from your sins, something that the law can't do. He's busy preaching that. Everywhere he goes, he preaches that. And so they, they leave there. But as you think of that missions on Cyprus, there were two people in particular, and they stand as examples for two classes of people. There is Elimas called uh, Bar-Jesus. He's a false prophet. And so Christ crucified, Christ risen is being preached. And what does he say? I don't believe it. And the Bible tells us he's moved along by the evil one. That's one response to the gospel. And then the other response is by Sergius Paulus. He's the island governor, and he believes. And so the Bible teaches us regarding the ministry of Jesus. The same message goes out. But depending upon the recipient, there's two different smells to the gospel. Are you familiar with this? In the book of 1 Corinthians? Is it 1 Corinthians 2? I forget which. Maybe 1 Corinthians 2. The gospel call goes out, and to those who reject it, like Elimas, it's the stench of death. To those busy being lost. Same gospel, same message. It's the different recipient. And the, the, the same gospel goes out, 
Sergius Paulus, he receives it. It's the aroma of what? Life. Life to those busy being saved. That's what's happening. So for you as a believer, you hear the name Jesus and you think what? He's my only hope in life and death. I love him because he loves me. And your heart swoons at the, at the name of Jesus. And then it, an, another person hears the very same Jesus. And what do they say? I want to run away. It's the difference of the heart. One is born again and the other is not born again. The born again person has been subdued to Christ. The unborn again person is a, re- a rebel against the Lord Jesus. But it's, it's, the, it's a, a different response. But my point with, with what I'm saying is this. When Elimas says no, the Bible says that he is a servant of the evil one. He's a tool of the devil. Now here's my question. If, if your calling by the Lord Jesus Christ on your life was going to incur for you satanic opposition, Christ had a call on your life, go tell people about me. But before you go, just know that the devil will oppose you. And he has servants. He has fallen angelic servants, and he has fallen human servants. And and you will incur satanic opposition. Will, not might, will. Now my question is this. Would you still do it? Would you still do it? The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't sugarcoat his service. To come to the Lord Jesus is wonderful to be a Christian. If you were converted later in life, I was converted later in life. If you know what it was like not to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, and you can consciously know that demarcation is glorious. But is it easy? Is the Christian life an easy life? The Christian life comes with cross-carrying, with self-denying, with devil-fighting, all for the glory of Jesus. It's glorious, but it comes with a battle. If you knew on the front end, wait a minute, if I serve you, the devil will be against me. And the devil's servants will be against me. Would you do it? There are a lot of people that will say yes to Jesus if he'll make them healthy. Lots. If Jesus Christ would just mere, if Jesus' purpose was to make us healthy, there would not be an empty church on the planet. I could get this whole town into this church. If Jesus was going to meet here and heal all physically sick people, I'd be the first in line. But I could get everybody in this room. Right? But if I say, well, he's coming to take your sins and to heal you back to God and reconcile you. Wait a minute, I I like my sin. I don't like my sickness. But when you say you're going to be opposed by the devil, many of us say, I'd say yes to the health, yes to the wealth. Fighting with the devil? No, that's not enough. My point with that is this. If Christianity was merely of man... And, and the servants of Christ knew that they were going to be attacked by the devil, which is a fact. If it was of man, no one's going to do this. No one's going to go on with this. The Apostle Paul is not going to keep going. Barnabas is not going to keep going. What we see time and time and time, Jesus Christ says, know this in advance. I send you out as sheep among what kind of folk? Wolves. I know in our days people say, Ministers are in it for the dough, and missionaries are in it for the dough. They're, they're trying to convert people by tricks, and it's just really easy squeezy. That's why they're in it. In the Bible, are they in it for the money? 
Are they converting people by tricks? You, can, you can't convert people anyways, but you can't spiritually convert. The, that's the, the Holy Spirit's job. They're going to all die for their job. They're going to all die for their calling. The Lord Jesus Christ has different work for all of his different saints. Not everyone's a minister. Not everyone's a, I'll, I'll just say this. Some well-meaning Christians, they're well-meaning Christians, and they're great guys, some rock stars. I watched a guy, I couldn't even hold this guy's bags this, this week. And he said, we know the Asbury revival is a real revival if everybody goes out and does street preaching. And the guy who said this is a street preacher. And he's an awesome street preacher. Beloved, that's not true. Jesus is not calling everybody to street preaching, and I'm not against street preaching. Everybody's not a street preacher. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 21. Read Romans chapter 12. Read Ephesians 4, 8. He has different work for different members of the body. But you see what we're often... Pro- I'm a street preacher, therefore everybody should be a street preacher. I'm a pastor, everybody should be a pastor. That's ridiculous. So God has different work for all of the different people in his body. Don't, just as an aside, no extra charge for this, don't take your position in the body and make it the only position in the body and make other people in the body feel like less than. I mean, think of the worst, think of the least honorable part of your body, and now I'm going to take it away from you. Would you all of a sudden want it back? I think you would want it back. There's no least honorable part of the body. Everybody's necessary, but God does have some people that act in official capacity as his herald. And to those people, what we're seeing with the apostle and Barnabas and John Mark and Peter is he calls those people to be faithful with the gospel even to death, even in the face of satanic opposition. Most of us remember when people are mean to us way more than we remember when people are, are, are nice to us. Is, am I not right with that? I think I am. Most of us aren't good on diets. I'm, not, I'm a yo-yo on my diet. Why am I yo-yo on my diet? Because it's hard. It's hard to fight against all of this. It's the work of ministry. The work of the Lord Jesus Christ will, will, will advance. Because as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it's the work of Jesus Christ in these ministers that go out everywhere and they're willing to die for Christ's sake. That's what's going on. Does everyone in this room have a Bible on their lap? Is there a Bible close to you? Is it in English? Does everyone in this room read English? Probably so. You know how you got an English Bible? There were ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ that were willing to die to get you an English Bible. That's this. Do you, are you able to week in, week out, day in, day out, hear the gospel of the cross? Can you in this land? You know why? There were ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ that were willing to die for that. That's these guys. So when you come here, we think, well, this is just the church and the gospel is just, you have to come up with man-made tricks. It's not man-made tricks, brother, beloved. It is God, the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ animating these brothers who are willing to die for Christ's sake so other people would know Jesus Christ savingly. It was, Mark, uh, it was um, Charles Spurgeon said, I'm going to work myself to death and I'm going to pray myself alive. Some people say, like, You've got to do everything in moderation. You don't want to be too zealous. That's tonight's sermon, the zeal of Jesus. No, that's the... I, I know that's true in eating and in other things, but that, it's not true here. For, for, these minist- for these ministers, you want them on fire. And I don't mean knucklehead on fire. I mean passionately in love with Jesus 
and passionately in love with people, the lost people. They're not going looking for good people because there are no good people apart from Jesus. They love the lost. And so we see the continuation. I know I went too long on that point. And we talked about, we talked about the, re, the, the response, the, the two responses. Now, I've, I mentioned that those who reject Jesus as presented to them in the gospel are under the control of the devil. And I, I know this sounds... If you're not used to hearing this stuff, you come here and you think, why did I take a turn on Olive Road and come into this church? This guy's talking about sin, Savior, the devil. Do we talk about the devil? What, is this a Pentecostal church? I'm going to read something to you. And this is, this is what's going on in this work. So gospel evangelism, gospel, gospel missionaries is a spiritual enterprise. This is not a lecture. This is not like, well, I don't know. I think, yes, you look nice. Yes, thank you for that. This is not that. There are plenty of people that get into ministry thinking, you know, call me reverend and I'm gonna, it's going to be a lecture. You need to do something else. This is a spiritual business. I'm going to read something to you. 2 Corinthians 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, listen to this. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God, lowercase, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Are you hearing that? Those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ in the image of God. We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus, our Lord, and, your, and ourselves as your bondservants in Jesus Christ. This is a spiritual enterprise. And you have the forces of darkness fighting against the forces of light. These servants, we all, so we're not all gospel ministers, we're not all gospel preachers, but we're all servants of Jesus. All of us, everyone is. And everyone in this room who's a believer, it, you, you exist in a spiritual battle. And the weapons that we fight for are, with are not carnal. And we're, we're calling people to come out from under the dominion of the devil with the power of the gospel in the name of Jesus. And God the Holy Spirit is going to make that effectual or not. He's either going to save people or he'll judge people. But we're engaged in this business. It is a supernatural business. I prayed it earlier because I have it on the brain. Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. And J.C. Ryle was exactly right. And it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We look around and think, well, I've got a car, I've got a house, I've got to fix the soffits, I've got to, got to, got to. All we think is reality is this. Oh, that's not true. My mother, who's dead now, but she used to say, typical Irish, in a hundred years, what's it going to matter? In a hundred years, what's it going to matter? Everyone in this room in a hundred years is not going to be here. We're going to be in the eternal estate. Think of that. Think of, I gotta, 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 gotta. Think of, I gotta go to the doctors. I'm going to the doctors. I'm gonna get another round of exams and I'm super anxious about all that. In a hundred years, what's it gonna matter? Where will we be? We're gonna be in the eternal estate. This is, this business of evangelism, this business of missions, the business of the church, it, it is mind-blowing. It isn't trying to make... I used to be a drunk, and I'm not a drunk. You, 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 you cat around on your wife, and now you don't cat around on your wife. You, you did bad things, and now you don't do bad things. I'm for all. I'm, I'm, I'm for doing good. But that's not this. 
That's not this. This is supernatural that God is using the gospel to rescue people out of sin, away from the bondage of the devil, and make them children and sons and daughters of God through the ministry of the gospel. And you think, so just telling people the good news, that the blood of Jesus pays you from sins, believe in him, you'll be saved, just that works? Well, not as it just comes out of my mouth. As it's applied by God the Holy Spirit. Remember Ezekiel 37? It's the valley of dead and dry bones. Remember that? Can dry bones live? Can dead spiritually people live? If you just preach the gospel to spiritually dead people, can they live? Yeah. Yeah, they can. When God the Holy Spirit says live, and he uses the instrumentality of the word, that's what's going on here. It is an absolute mind blower. I, I, I find the business of evangelism, the business of missions, again, not to make Easterners, Westerners, Democrats, Republicans. The message is Jesus. The message is, is salvation. It's not, if you're poor, you can be rich. If you're healthy, you're sick, you can be healthy. I, who doesn't want to be healthy? Who doesn't want, who, but that's not the message. Because in a hundred years, if, if all of a sudden God healed you, whatever you have right now, which I hope he does, if he heals you from it, where are you going to be in a hundred years? Remember, he, lays, he raises Lazarus from the dead. In a hundred years, what happened to Lazarus come back from the dead? He's gone. He's in glory. But that's, that's not the main message. The main message is we can be saved from our sins, from the bondage of the devil. We can be God's children, forgiven in the name of Jesus. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on. I mentioned he's traveling around. We see some of the work. The Holy Spirit is keen to record some of the effort. Um, there's a phrase from AA. It's let go, let God. It's these two brothers, Niebuhr, Reinhold, and the other guy, I forget. They were classic liberals. I don't mean, I don't mean political liberals. They were classic theo- uh, theological liberals, German theological liberals. And, and one of them developed let go, let God, and it was a healing. There's another phrase that AA doesn't use, but it's let go, let God. And some Christians have co-opted that let go, let God, and they've said something like this. Well, Christianity is all passive. I just sit there, and the Holy Spirit does whatever he does, and I'm in the Barker lounger, and since God is sovereign, I don't have to do anything but just sit in the Barker lounger. Beloved, if we're, we're not looking at the same Bible. Do I believe in the sovereignty of God? Yes, praise God. <laughs> yes, praise God. Is Christianity just this passive sit in the barker lounger, let go, let God? If you say yes, you're not looking at the Bible. Resist the devil, pick up the sword of the spirit, fight, run, wrestle, agonia, to bloodshed. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And so when we look at the, the, the life of a Christian, it's super active. And the life of a Christian minister on wheels, which is the missionary, they're having a... How do they get places? Are they taking Amtrak? Are they jumping on like JetBlue? How, they're walking. You're either on a pack mule or you're walking everywhere. Or you, you hop on a boat. Is the boat really nice with like, you know, the big deck and everything and the, the chairs and the shuttleboard? My daughter, I think when she, was in, when she went to Haiti and they took a ferry from the, the main island over to another little island, Luganoff, there were goats and chickens and flying in her face and all of that stuff. That's this. That's this. How many folks, remember we talked about satanic opposition. Imagine if someone said to you, the church, 
that you attend is like, I don't know, five miles away. And no one has a car. And no one has a donkey or a bike. How are we going to get there? How are you going to get there if you don't have a car, a bike, or a donkey? It's the Lord's Day. You're five miles away, and you have to walk to get there. How many people would roll out of the sack and go to church? These people are walking everywhere. They're expending themselves. It's effort. It's effort. It's effort to get out of bed and go to church. It's effort to go from your place, which is comfortable, to a place which is not comfortable. It's effort. And God compels these people to expend effort. It's the same with anything. My wife's a marathoner. If you want to be a marathoner and you're eating ding-dongs on the couch, you're not going to be a marathoner. You have to get up off the couch, put the ding-dongs down, and you have to train like a loon and then run marathons. In the Christian life, in the Christian life, this is an active business. How will those people in pick a land? How will they hear Jesus? Someone's going to get up out of their comfort zone and they're going to go to a place of not their comfort zone. Why? Why? Why would you do it? Just rest. Take a, just retire. Take it easy. Rest. Remember the quote I quoted all the time, C.T. Studd? I think he's a Baptist, but he's awesome. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will what? Last. That's this. They're traveling all around. They're back up to Asia Minor. They're, they're up in Asia Minor. My, my Boston's coming out. And then they go to Cyprus. And then they turn back around. Uh, Perga is like 10 miles into the coast. They land on the coast. 12-mile hike. You've got to do a half marathon to get to this place. And then up straight north is the, the uh, Antioch, Pisidia, Pisidia, Antioch. There are a couple of Antiochs in the Bible. One is in Turkey. That's the one we're at here. A couple of weeks ago, we were at another Antioch, which is in Syria. That's where that, the, um, the earthquakes were just hitting just a couple of weeks ago. So he's kind, of made a, he's kind of made a full circle. And now here they are in this particular place. We are like, with him in, in this new place of, of preaching, we're 1,400 miles away from Jerusalem. Do you see what's happened? You see what's happened? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a supernatural business. The church is a supernatural entity. And God is going to supernaturally rescue people. Everything he says, Christ says in the word, is going to come true. Is it going to become true because we're so faithful? No. It's going to come true because he's so faithful. It, we don't depend upon ourselves for the work of Jesus Christ. Why? What a pit of... What a, what a joke. It would never happen. Jesus says the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem, it's going to go to Judea, Samaria, and everywhere else. And we're 1,400 kilometers away from Jerusalem. That's the, the word of God being fulfilled. Beloved, when we look with eyes of flesh, believers, when we reason to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the Lord, reason that way, when we, we hear that and we think just fleshly, I don't know, does that really happen? But when you reason with eyes of faith, God has made a promise to me that if I die, as soon as I die, I'm going to be immediately in the presence of, of God. That's a promise by God. We don't want, if we walked by flesh, we would walk around being so dejected it wouldn't even be funny. But when we look at the word of God and say, Jesus promised 
He promised this gospel is going everywhere. Oh no, the devil's going to stop it. Oh no, the devil's not going to stop it. Because the church is so powerful? No, the church is actually so weak in itself. And that's really good. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul says to Jesus, please take this thorn away. And Jesus said, no, I'm not taking it away because I like you when you're weak. Because when you're weak, you rely upon my strength. And Paul says, I'm going to rather boast in my weakness. So it's not that he takes the super strong, he takes the super weak. And then he shows that he is strong. That the power of the gospel, as he says elsewhere, doesn't rest in the vessel. These are nothings. When Paul left, died, and went to heaven, what happened to the gospel? It kept going. When John Calvin died, what happened to the gospel? He went to heaven, and the gospel kept going. When I die, when you die, what's going to happen? Until Christ comes back, it's going. It's going, 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 going. Because he says, I'm going to do it. Now that's my entire... I didn't get to the main body of my sermon, but I, I, wanted, I want to show you something. And then I promise I'll, I'll, I'll quit. I'll, look, I'll unpack the rest of the sermon next week. But I want to leave you to this. This week, I want you to look at this passage. And what the apostle does in this, this, this main body of this passage is this. Have you ever heard this phrase in the Reformed Church? It's called redemptive historical preaching. Redemptive historical preaching. I do it. My minister does it better than I do. It's this. I don't do it exclusively. I'm not an exclusive redemptive historical preacher. It's, it's an overview of salvific history, which is what the Apostle Paul does. He flies over the history of the Jews in the Bible, and then he pulls out salient points, and then he applies them. It's big picture kind of preaching, and kind of a caricature of guys that do purely redemptive historical, is they start in the garden, pre-fall, fall, they go to Christ, and they end up in heaven. It's kind of a classic pattern, but it's very big picture uh, 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 kind of a preaching style. And they take that, and they say, well... God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the Apostle Paul to do that, and so therefore we do that. I think we should do it, and there's some, some benefit to it, but I think there's also benefit from taking a passage and then unpacking that thing like, a, like an onion. And I know there's a debate, but that's what this is. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in a synagogue on the Lord's Day. He's with Jewish folks. And he, he's using some things which are to his natural advantage to proclaim the gospel. Remember... Remember, Paul says, to the Jews, I become a Jew. To the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. And he, he, it's not that he's, this is not the machinations of men. He's, he's being shrewd. If, if, if you're a New Englander and you're a New Englander and you can clip your eyes and all of that good stuff, you might have a better opening with other New Englanders. Why? Because they say, oh, you're like us. Paul's doing the same thing. He is a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. He's a Pharisee, and he has, he has training. He can speak multiple languages, including Hebrew. He's going to use that to his advantage. What person has a better chance of sharing with an Indian, Hindu, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Is it me, as the guy born in, uh, in New England, or my wife, who was born in India, who now is a Christian? Who's going to have the natural advantage? You see what I mean? So he's using that to his advantage. And one of the things about the Apostle Paul that he has to his advantage speaking to Jews, is I'm going to say the phrase, but you understand what I mean. They're church folks. He's in church. This is the visible household of faith. And look at what he's preaching to church folks. Christ and salvation. I know I drive people crazy. 
People say, well, don't you think anybody in church is saved? Yes, yes, of course I do. I know everybody in this room. That's, but that's not he, he, here or there. My sermons hopefully come from the passage. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul walks into a synagogue, church folks, and says what? Now remember, they're all members of the visible household of faith. They're all circumcised, baptized. They all have baptized, you understand what I'm doing. And they have Bibles. People like that think, why would you tell us about Jesus and salvation? We're members of the church. We're baptized. I have a Bible on my lap. I'm highly indignant. And the Apostle Paul says under the inspiration, the reason I'm telling you is you don't know Jesus. You're members of the church. You're circumcised, baptized. You have a Bible on your lap. But you don't know Jesus. You're not saved. And so he uses this particular venue and he says, I'm going to teach you the Bible. Now, isn't this true? People go like this. I was raised in the church. I was raised reading the Bible. How dare you quote the Bible to me? I'm just going to say a little something. Most people who are raised with the church who get indignant about how dare you quote the Bible to me, they don't know the Bible. (laughs) This is what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's using the Bible because God gave the Bible, the oracles of God, to the Jews. They should know the Bible. He says, let me tell you about the Bible. A lot of Christians, I did this many years ago, someone wanted to teach something in the church. And if you want to teach anything in the church, you've got to go through the elders and blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay, what we're going to do is before you get to the elders, we're going to have a, a test. And it was a men's pr- a prayer group on uh, Saturday. And I passed out paper, Bibles, and pencils. I said, okay, everybody who wants to teach, you've got to pass this test. With the Bible, you've got to write down the main propositions of the gospel, and you've got to give me proof text. You have five minutes, and you can't call your wife. Go. Mm-hmm. I totally know the Bible. You totally don't know the Bible. <laughs> the Apostle Paul comes to people that should be Bible people and says, you don't know Jesus. You don't know your Bible. But I'm here to tell you the Bible and to show you Jesus in the Bible. And at the very end, you know what he says to them? Now believe. Remember we started... There's only two responses. If you say, manana, 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 that's a no. Manana's a no. There's either, yes, I, I received Jesus as presented to me in the gospel. Yes. And then the Bible says that you've passed from death to life. You're saved. That's what it means. You're saved. Saved from the wrath to come. F- saved to serve God with a childlike love. Saved. Or you say no. And you're not saved. And the wrath of God is upon you. And he says, believe. I want to leave you with good news. To everyone in this room who loves Christ in spirit and truth, you are a safe person. I want you to meditate on that. I walked around here. I, I can't sleep at night, so I, I, I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I was in the church at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm walking around here super early with my suit looking like a kook out there and, and, and praying and looking at creation and thinking, God, how wonderful you are. How beautiful you are in creation. And if you're this beautiful in creation, how much beautiful you must be when I can see you. But think like that for redemption. You could have hard things in your life. Everyone in this room has hard things in their life. I, I know it. Think this as a believer. You've been free from all of your sins. The devil is going to whisper your sins to, to, to you. He, he will do that. You did thus and so. You said such and so. You thought such and so. 
you know what you should say back to the devil? Yeah, and you forgot a whole boatload of stuff. But I've been cleansed. Say that to yourself. You've been washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say to yourself, as a Christian, there's no, say it, no condemnation. God is never going to say to you as a believer, ever, ever, depart from me. Never. As a saved person, you are God's beloved son or daughter. Every promise. This is, it's not just get saved. Like, I don't even use that language, but I understand what they mean. Our salvation, we understand this much. If we knew how much God loved us in Christ, that's encompassed by that, that term, saved. Simply for believing Jesus. There's a guy, he's a, a talking head. Uh, he's a political talking head. He's a, not a Christian. He's very offended that Christians tell people that live wickedly sinful lives that if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. He's super offended by that. That's a Pharisee. That's a Pharisee. You're so offended that a holy, righteous God would accept that scallywag and, and he, he's not looking at all your awesome, good stuff. See what I mean? All of our sin is washed away. He purchased us with his precious blood. Not a hair from our head falls to the ground. We're going to go from here and when they say brother John or sister Sarah is gone, where do we go? There. That's the message, beloved. That's what we have. That's what the church has. That's what you have. And we have it to give away wherever God sends us. I went too long. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.